All right, this is the QTR podcast. Wow, I got some new podcast uh, equipment, and I love it. I got new monitors. Bought these great Audio Technica monitors. The first time I've updated my monitors since I started the podcast, <laughs> which is like it's been six years. I've been. I have to take a photo of them and put them on my Twitter. But you got to see the ones that I was using previously. Holy shit! Anyways, I am happy to be here. I'm happy that you guys are here with me. I'm happy to have the legendary Bob Moriarty on with me today for the first time. First and foremost, though, I want to shout out the people that make my podcast possible and, in general, just make my life possible. Because those of you that listen to me know that the people I allow to help support and sponsor the podcast are those services, products, and people I know, love, and use myself, and that is no bullshit. First and foremost, I want to shout out my friends over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. They've been in business for nearly a decade now. They've done over $7 billion in sales. QTR podcast listeners have their own rep at JM Bullion. So if you want to skip the website, if you have questions, you've never ordered bullion before, email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. Tell her the QTR podcast sent you. Uh, ask her whatever you need to ask her. And she would be happy to help you. You know, JM Bullion always has great stock on their website. Even when physical demand has been through the roof, I noticed that they generally have great inventory uh, selections compared to other dealers. Their premiums are very reasonable. And they have a great selection, too. If you're a, you know, if you're like me, look, mostly I'm a regular just cut and dry bullion guy but every once in a while you see some kind of commemorative bullshit coin or some shit that you like they have a ton of great stuff on their website uh wonderful selection great customer service trusted name and my long-term partner i love jm bullion that link is in the podcast description laura at jmbullion.com this podcast also brought to you by my friend george gammon over at rebel capitalist pro george gammon lynn alden chris mcintosh brent johnson ton of professionals over on the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform, providing you with ways to preserve your wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks, which of course we'll touch on today, and we touch on, and every day we touch on. (laughs) But uh, if you're interested in learning how the central bank behemoth works worldwide, nobody knows it better than George Gammon. He's a hell of a great guy. He's got two free YouTube channels you can uh, subscribe to. Rebel Capitalist and George Gammon. He does live question and answer sessions with professionals almost daily and his online forums at Rebel Capitalist. I find them to be quite helpful and uh, I follow along with them and I love reading his content, but I like reading the premium content uh, of the people that work with him. And I got to get George back on the show soon. I I haven't talked to George in a long ass time. So let's uh, maybe let's think about that for the next show. This podcast also brought to you by my friends Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, creators of the Steam Room, which is really, if you are an active trader, you follow unusual options activity, you want to learn how to read tape, you want to be able to just get a pulse on the market, there's no better community than Sang Lucci's Steam Room, Wall Street Jesus's Steam Room. These guys were the original OGs of tracking unusual options activity. They coined the term call sweepers, put sweepers. They were the first fucking people to say that. You know, people toss around those terms all the time now, but I remember watching Wall Street Jesus's tweets about 10 years ago where he would tweet about, oh, there's steam in this option. There's sweepers coming in in this option. Now it's like every service wants to try and offer, oh, well, you know, look, there's buys here at the offer on these calls, whatever. But really the OGs of doing it 
our Wall Street Jesus and Sanglucci. Sanglucci also runs a pre-market live stream every day, so you can watch him uh, trade on the Sanglucci uh, YouTube channel, which is just Sanglucci on YouTube, uh, and it's actually quite amusing. It's great to watch him trade his uh, seven-figure account to get his thought process. If you're an active trader, it's just and you enjoy my podcast, you would love his live stream because it's a no-bullshit, cut-and-dry uh, look at um, really what he's what he's looking at for the day. So, you know, Lucci, Gammon, great people that uh, are honest people to do business with. Same with JM Bullion and same with my newest sponsor. Now, hold on to your hold on to your seats. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I have a Bitcoin related sponsor and I'm going to do a little aside here just to tell my listeners um, why I am working with Swan. Uh, Swan is a Bitcoin company that makes it very easy for you to uh, stack your Bitcoin. And for me, what I like about it is they have a recurring uh, feature that allows you to stack if you want to do $10 a day, $20 a day, $50 a day, $100 a week, whatever, where you can kind of set the app and forget it. Now, I was turned on to Swan by Larry Lapard. My first instinct when it comes to Bitcoin is always it's a fraud and I don't want anything to do with it, even with my change of heart here over the last couple of weeks. And so in my longstanding policy of only working with sponsors that I know and trust, why did I pick Swan? Well, I picked Swan for a couple of reasons. My dear friend, Larry Lapard, who I trust implicitly, I know is an honest person, he recommended them to me. Then I had a chance to talk to a couple of people at Swan, and I know that Lynn Alden also works with Swan, and I trust Lynn Alden. And so Swan is a company that's surrounded by people that have integrity in my circle. Also, I like their app, and so there is that we're checking off the boxes now. Are they honest people? Yes. Is it a product that I would use? Yes, it is. Uh, I like the app. It's super easy to use. It's no bullshit, no shit coins, no crypto nonsense, no crazy fees, no, you know, no FTX, no Sam Bankman free, simple app, recurring buys for Bitcoin. And that's why when Swan, when Corey and the Swan team said, Hey, you want to try and work together for the first time ever? I said, yeah, you know what? Let's just talk about it. Then we had a due diligence call. Then we talked to each other. Then we got to know each other. And I said, okay, let's give it a shot. And so happy to introduce Swan Bitcoin as, uh, as really my one of the apps that I like to help use. Buy, to, see? Everybody else, I got a script down. These guys, I don't have a script yet because I, I haven't done it yet. And I refuse to read anything that anybody sends me. I like Swan. End of story. Let's get started with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the link to this shit in the in the uh, podcast description with the rest of it. Let's get going now. All right, happy to have on the show the legendary Bob Moriarty, who I love listening to on Palisades Gold Radio, and who I did not know up until I don't know maybe six months ago uh, is behind three two one gold dot com, which is uh, a great site that I love going to now. Because it lists news in the gold world, macroeconomic news, a lot of uh, news through an Austrian lens. And I was somebody pointed out to me that Bob was kind enough to share uh, a couple of my articles on his site, which uh, I appreciate. So uh, how the hell are you? Great to meet you for the first time. We talked for about 10 seconds off the air, and this is our, this is our formal meeting each other. So how are you, Bob? Well, uh, strange enough, you're part of 
a revolution that I don't think anybody's talked about. There are, there are a lot of these substack uh, sites now where you, you get a choice of a lot of different opinions, and it's all brand new. I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. I love your stuff. I love Doomberg. I love the, the Daily Disaster. Uh, <laughs> there's some really good information. People have more access to information now that we have had in history. It's really been a beautiful thing, hasn't it? The fact that the market has created solutions. You know, we kind of got to this point over the last, definitely over COVID, where I think numerous authoritarian governments across the world overplayed their hands and really, you know, they're used to kind of moving the civil liberties boundaries a millimeter at a time, and they went for a huge grab. They went for, you know, they went to grab a mile at a time, and all of a sudden, you know, Elon Musk wound up buying Twitter, and Substack became a thing of prominence, and you got guys like Taibi and Greenwald and uh, you know, you kind of have this Bitcoin and gold thing happening where people are st- starting to understand monetary policy at the same time. So it's it's wonderful to see this blow off valve that the Internet has enabled for non-traditional media, which really, if you ask me, Bob, we're the, we're the guys with the common sense. But the rest of well, the world. Uh, here's what's crazy. This was all predicted in the fourth turning. And, and that is probably the most insightful book I have ever seen because they predicted the future and the timeline and it happened exactly when they say so. And for people who are not familiar with the fourth turning, uh, it, it, it's talking about four different turnings, each of which is a generation, 20, 22 years. And the fourth turning is the crisis phase, and it's when governments try to go totalitarian. And that's exactly what's happening today. But what everybody's forgotten who read the book is that the book says there will be a counter trend of people who are looking for freedom. And and I'll just be real simple. I believe you and Doomberg and all of the other people doing the same thing are are literally starting a very important revolution, and it's blowback against this totalitarianism uh, like the World Economic Forum and globalism and COVID, and and they're going to fail. Well, I I hope so, and it it really seems... There's a couple of things I'm encouraged by. I was just talking to somebody and somebody on a, oh uh, maybe it was one of the the Canadian Bitcoin podcasts I was talking to the other day where I said you know I'm really encouraged by the fact that Pierre Polyev is uh, polling well in Canada and certainly you know Trump is again polling well here in the U S and I think people are starting to you know when you see are, are you are you in France did you tell me you were in France Yeah I sure am. Okay, so when you see something like those guys lining up outside the Elysee Palace to shoot horse shit all over the government buildings to make a point that, like, we've had enough and the farmers aren't the enemy, uh, it certainly feels like, okay, there is that there is that pushback kind of brewing under the surface, right? Well, it's not really under the surface. The strange thing is the pushback 
it's not under the surface. It's under the narrative. Now, you don't see it in the United States, but those farmer protests have been all over Europe. They were started in Netherlands. Uh, they're in Brussels. They're certainly in France. They even closed some of the the roadways and the food stores around where I live because farmers wanted to make a point. And there was something very funny about going to the food store to get a loaf of bread and some milk and seeing a, a, a pile of horse manure sitting in front of the door. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting reminder that, you know, the bureaucrats, no matter how much power they want to wield, they're, they're outnumbered. It's like in China when they tried to, and, you know, China can be pretty authoritarian. They were pretty authoritarian when it came to the COVID lockdown, but that last wave of lockdowns, Beijing said, tried to lock everybody back in their houses and said, hey, we're having another wave of COVID. And even in China, the people just said, nah, we're not doing it. You know, there's a billion of us and there's 600 of you bureaucrats in Beijing. Like, we're going to do what we want. And the government very quickly laid down and said, oh, OK, we're going to we're going to call a quick end to it. And so there's enormous power with the people. And I feel like sometimes we forget that. Well, strange enough, because nobody has told us that. Now, I, I was in Vietnam for almost two years, and I was in the military, and I was in heavy con- combat. And quite bluntly, everyone overestimates the power of government. Everybody in governments think they have unlimited power. It's bullshit. They don't have unlimited power. And there is pushback. And I celebrate the pushback because it's our freedom. I I don't want to be a slave. This uh, by 2030, you will owe nothing and you will own nothing and you'll be happy. That is the definition of slavery. Yeah, it is. And the in the World Economic Forum push towards you know, getting rid of private property and absconding with your civil liberties. It's its frightening. I, I, and I don't think it requires a lot of brain power to, to envision the slippery slope that we're on when you hear things like that. I just, uh, I, I don't know. To me, it's, I mean, I feel like my eyes have been wide open for a long time. It's it's stunning to me to see the number of people that just are happy to outsource their critical thinking to the powers that be and don't really have the foresight or the perspective to see these things as they're happening, right? It's only after it's only after the straw that breaks the camel's back, right, that people look behind them and say, holy shit, what happened? Well, strange enough, I mean, governments are still trying the same thing. Uh, the, the WHO is trying to push through a health measure that would literally give them control over the health requirements for everybody on Earth. It would bypass treaties. The WHO could come out and say, okay, we've got a health emergency. You have to take this new vaccine that's never been tested. Uh, You have to, or you don't get to eat. In France, and that's really bizarre because it's a measure of how far they've gone, they just passed a law last week 
saying you were not allowed to criticize uh, the medical profession or vaccines. And, and, and that's bizarre. Wait a minute. I mean, everyone should recognize by now COVID was fraud. It, it was not 1% or 10% or 50% fraud. It was 100% fraud. It was run for the benefit of the oligarchs and the guys running the, the pharmaceutical companies. And, and it's killed tens of millions of people, and it's going to kill a lot more before it's through. If you put up with it, and if you don't fight back, governments will gladly kill you. Yeah, sadly, you know, a lot of people would say, well, Bob, that's a pretty extreme statement. Except, you know, when you see things a certain way, you go, well, all right, that's one way to put it. It's like the thing with Javier Malay in Argentina. You know, I was telling Tom Bodrovich, our mutual friend over at Palisades Gold Radio, that, you know, people would have watched Malay and the statements that he made years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And the way that he talked about, you know, people on the left, he would say, you can't give the shit libtards an inch. And he would, you know, decimate all of the departments of government. And, you know, they would have seen him 10 years ago and maybe said, well, that's that's a bit much. But what does it tell you that people looked at that now and said, that's exactly what we need? All of a sudden, that makes a lot of sense to people. What does that tell you? Well, here's what's crazy, and I'll give you something that's really out of the park. It is my belief, and certainly I don't have any proof, and I'm not going to have it for, for a short period of time. When you get away from a gold standard, and there's nothing magic about a gold standard, it's just honest money. When you get away from honest money, you'd lose track of values. You no longer know what values are. Right. If you were a tailor and they changed the value of, of a meter every day and you made a suit for someone, the, the left sleeve would be two inches longer than the right sleeve. <laughs> but when your currency changes 10,000 times in a day, how do you make intelligent investment decisions? And we've gone for total, absolute corruption. If you look at the EU, if you look at Canada, if you look at the United States, we have total corruption. The, the uh, Secret Service was giving protection to Hunter Biden when he was out buying crack for its hookers. Now, uh, tell me you can get more corrupt than that. Uh, you can because because they wouldn't give they wouldn't give Robert they wouldn't give RFK Jr. Secret Service protection, and he's running for president. Yeah, well, I mean, with a name like Kennedy, you don't need Secret Service protection. <laughs> yeah, when has anything when has anything bad ever happened to anybody in the Kennedy family? Uh, let me think about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we just had that case in New York where a judge decided that Donald fraud should be, or Donald Trump should pay a $354 million fine for fraud, that there were no victims. Everybody still wanted to do business with Trump, okay? And I'm thinking, this is insane. 
Now, there is a provision, I, I think it's the Eighth Amendment, that says you can't levy excess fines. Now, $354 million is not an excess fine for no fraud. What would be an excess fine? Well, and the whole thing was, a, you know, ridiculous. For people that don't know, the logistics of the case are were, to summarize it briefly, where Trump said, that, you know, that a, a building was worth a certain amount of money in order to try to obtain a loan. So he was using it as collateral. And, you know, the uh, the larger your collateral is, depending on whatever the loan to value is, the uh, larger the loan is that you'll get. And so the bank then is responsible also as when you apply for a mortgage, when you apply for a credit card, when you apply for a personal loan, the lender does due diligence to make sure that uh, what you put is accurate to their liking. So if you go to apply for a mortgage, you send them, you know, your pay stubs, your tax records, whatever. And then it's their, it's the underwriter's responsibility to make sure that you're credit worthy. And in this case, the bank performed due diligence on the numbers that Trump gave them. They came to an agreement. They issued him a loan and he paid it off. And now New York is saying, you know, essentially a victimless crime here that that's worth a $355 million judgment. He's no longer uh, allowed to do business in New York, which is just insane. Trump said once I, in, in one of those debates, Bob, you know, these these banks are are not little babies. They're killers and they know what they're doing. And he's right. Well, here's what's insane. There was testimony during the trial that 100 percent of real estate developers, and this is across the country and probably across the world, do precisely the same thing. Mm -hmm. It is in their best interest to inflate the loan, to inflate the value as high as they can in the same way that it's in the bank's best interest, as you just pointed out, to decrease the value of the real estate until it fits within their their parameters. But there was zero fraud. And clearly, just as in Georgia, that that was not a, a trial about anything economic. That was an attack by the Biden-Obama administration on Donald Trump. Now, I don't particularly like Donald Trump. Okay, and I've got all the right in the world to feel that way. I'm not saying that he's a bad person, but he's not my favorite person. And and for the judge to be so clearly biased. I know. And and I I watched the testimony of Fanny down in Georgia last week, and that was an absolute hoot. She and her boyfriend look like the biggest blithering idiots and liars that I've ever heard. She, you know, I, I, I was paying for half the cost, and, and I paid my boyfriend in cash. And, and the boyfriend has asked, what did you do when she gave you the money? Uh, how did you deposit? He said, deposit it? It wasn't a check. And I'm thinking, have you ever heard of depositing cash? People do that all the time. So, so we're going to see, but I have made the comment in the past that we're at peak insanity, and, and I think that's going to be, people are going to recognize, yeah, Moriarty got it right. That, that trial was something to behold. 
because she took the stand. I, I don't I'm not sure I've seen anything like it, but I mean, obviously they're lying, the two of them, and they couldn't even, you know, for a couple of fucking lawyers, you'd think they would be able to finesse a little bit more of a defense than what the, than what they put on the stand there last week. I mean, it was like it was like watching a, you know, 10th grader defend why he didn't do his book report, except worse. Are you familiar with the term sequestration? Yeah, of course. Okay, in in a trial, and that's either civil or criminal, you can request sequestration. And what it means is the witnesses are not allowed to hear the testimony of other witnesses. And when Fanny got on the stand and started being questioning, uh, the interesting thing is that she admitted she had been watching upstairs in her office well that's a violation of sequestration okay the the judge regardless of his political leanings it's in a really funny position it's like the icj and the genocide thing in in gaza Uh, the the judge is trapped okay if he doesn't come out and disqualify her uh, he's going to look like he's been bought and paid for, too. Well, I thought it was stunning how many direct questions they were asked that they just started going, you know. And it's funny because they'll be the people that attack Trump for doing the same thing because Trump would do the same thing. He would get he would get a direct question, you know, in a deposition. Mr. Trump, did you deposit the check? And he'd be like, well... I'm not going to say I deposited it or I didn't deposit it. You know, I'm saying sometimes checks are deposited. Sometimes I just leave them around. Who knows? And I don't know. You know, he gives these nebulous answers, which is what happens when you, you know, basically do depositions for a living. And these two were doing the same exact thing. You know, they, they're supposed to be the, the barometer of integrity and they couldn't answer simple questions. And so yeah, the, we're, we're going to hell, really, I think is the point. It's worse than that. Uh, if you watch it uh, now, have you ever played high stakes poker? Yes, I have. Okay, so you know what a tell is. Yes, I do. Okay, a tell is a mannerism that a person makes when when they're they're three spades to a flush, and Fanny has this tell. Every time she was lying, she put her hand up in front of her face. And, and, and I was sitting there thinking, God, I wish the judge could see it. He'd stop the trial right now. Because, okay, uh, you know, when, when did you start screwing your boyfriend? And it's, well, I got to go back and watch that now. Uh, look. Look for her putting her hand up in front of her face because it was absolutely a hoot. And, of course, she obviously has never played poker. I, I would love to play poker with her. I'd take all that $15,000 in cash she keeps at the house. I'd take poker. <laughs> uh, oh, she said... They said, uh, Ms. Willis, uh, do you remember when you uh, traveled with Mr. Wade? She's like, uh, Mr. Wade is a world traveler, you know, like, like that's so like, like he's, uh, you know, the the deposed uh, son of the king prince of Saudi Arabia. He's a world traveler. It's like you guys went on a couple of carnival cruises. All right. Calm down. 
Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about that. Come on, Bahamas is not world traveler. He's <laughs> a world traveler. She said he's so sophisticated, Bob. He's got he's got a travel agent and a cruise travel agent. I was like, ah, all right. Well, I guess we can't have. And she likes Grey Goose. A very classy group of individuals. All right, let's talk about the economy. Uh, I, I don't know. What- uh, uh, there are. There are some things that you may want to stay away from, and the economy is probably a third rail. <laughs> Look, I love listening to your perspective on macro on Palisade Skull Radio. And so uh, kind of putting aside how we're screwed from a uh, political standpoint and generally how the West is crumbling – uh, what do you make of the sovereign debt crisis here in the United States? And uh, what bigger, broader industry trends do you see for, for the macro economy right now? Well, strange enough, the so- sovereign debt issue is not an American issue. It's a worldwide issue. It's something the United States started in 1971 when they got off the gold standard. And we are at peak stupidity now. (laughs) Europe is functionally bankrupt. The United States has contributed more money to Ukraine. We could buy a new house for every homeless person in the United States. And instead, it's gone to the most corrupt country in the world, led by a Nazi uh, who's doing nothing but but giving bribes to the military-industrial complex. So the, the debt crisis, everyone who passed Economics 101 knows the Western-based debt system is going to blow sky high at some point. And there's a lot of people saying it's coming this year, and, and I tend to think so. Uh, do you are you old enough to remember the Nifty Fifty? <laughs> no, I've been okay. I've been to Nifty Fifty's restaurant. Yeah, well, it's named after fifty stocks. If you go back to the bull market of the late '60s into 1972, there was a Nifty Fifty, and, and you had Avon, and you had IT and T, yet AT and T, yet fifty stocks. And when the stock market was getting creamed, other than the Nifty 50, they weren't getting creamed. And then finally in 1972, they got whacked too. We have seven stocks now that have more total value than the rest of the S&P combined. And the rest of the stock market was getting creamed, and the Nifty 7 are doing exceptionally well. And that's going to continue right up until it doesn't. And, and frankly, I think that's very soon. Uh, there is an overall conflict going on between the debt-based system of the West and the resource-based system of the East. And everything the empire, and that, of course, is the United States and their minions in Europe, uh, the empire is collapsing, and everything they do is a mistake. The sanctions against Russia has killed the German economy, 
and it's improved the Russian economy. So it simply, it doesn't make any difference whether you cheer for the Ukrainian team or whether you cheer for the Russian team. What the, the Europeans in the United States have done is, is destroyed the German economy and the whole EU is based on a strong German economy. The, the Chancellor of Germany gave an okay to the United States to blow up Nord Stream. Now that's insane. That's a $30 billion act of terrorism. It is the biggest act of terrorism in history. The United States did it, and it did it. It was an attack on Europe, and the Chancellor of Germany let him do it. And there are also going to be additional Russian sanctions, I was just reading this morning, that are going to be coming supposedly as a result of uh, Alexei Navalny's death. And so I'm just, I'm wondering what's next. Uh, well, strange enough, the sanctions have never worked. They've never worked against any country. There have been sanctions against Cuba going back to 1959. Okay. Sanctions are masturbation by government. It may sound like a lot of fun, but it's actually a waste of time. Yeah, well, and I think in the case of the sanctions after the Russia-Ukraine war started, they have accelerated the bifurcation of the global economy into two groups, right? You have the West and you have BRICS. I mean, what what do you see happening there? And then well, if, if, here, if you can add to that too, like what do you see happening with, what do you see as endgame for the global debt bubble uh, after it all anyways? Well, it's going to collapse. It's that simple. There is more debt than can be paid. Uh, when you have a fractional reserve system, as we do in the West, there is always more debt than there is money. So at some point in time, you either have to wipe out the debt with the Jubilee or you have a mass, massive collapse. I, I happen to be a big fan of the Jubilee, but there are some things countries can do. Uh, the IMF goes out and hands these loans out to, to third world countries that can't really afford it. And I think there's something like $15 trillion in loans. And all those countries would have to do to have a jubilee is just say, okay, we just had a jubilee. You can go pound sand. We're not going to pay it back. Now, I think the leadership of the world is in the BRICS nations. That doesn't mean that I approve of everything Russia does or I approve of everything that China does. But we've got such poor leadership in the West and in the EU that the, the, the guys in the BRICS look like brain surgeons. <laughs> what happens in, like to assets in a debt jubilee situation? So say everybody decides to deduct a couple of zeros from the ends of their numbers on their spreadsheet collectively. What, what happens to assets? Does anything happen? Is it, it, well, that, uh, there, there's two kinds of assets. Uh, you ask a good question accidentally. Uh, there are real assets, which are tangible assets, like businesses, like cars, like airplanes, like, like uh, buildings. 
And then there are intangible assets like stocks and bonds. And the, the paper assets are by and large going to disappear. And that doesn't mean all stocks are going to disappear. The stocks that are based on fractional ownership of real assets like mines or, or corporations, uh, I, I think they'll be just fine. But the, there's so many uh, paper assets now that people think have value, and one day soon they're going to wake up and their paper assets are going to be all gone. In a depression, nothing changes in terms of assets other than who owns them. Interesting. And so what do you see for gold going forward in a situation like that? What do you think is the likely uh, the likely scenario for gold over the next 10, 20 years? Uh, if, it, if, if it plays out as you predict, um, do you think that there's a chance that, you know, one of the big worries I always had is that, you know, if, if, if gold rem, uh, becomes one of the hard assets that is part and parcel with, you know, a solution and say gold bugs get it right and the price of gold 10Xs is a result of all of this, that governments and nation states will look to either nationalize the miners uh, or simply try to confiscate the gold. How do you see it playing out? Well, governments, again, always believe they have a lot more power than they really do. Uh, in 1933, the United States government could confiscate gold because much of it was in the banks and they knew who had it. Today, the government has no idea who has it. I, I don't view gold, I, I, I'm not a gold bug in terms of I worship gold. I mean, you could see it in Bitcoin. People absolutely worship Bitcoin. Yeah. And, and frankly, I, I find that logic flawed. Okay. And everybody wants to disagree with me, but I've got opinions like everybody else. <laughs> uh, but in, in terms of gold, I, I view gold and silver and platinum and palladium and rhodium as an insurance policy against financial chaos. I don't look at it as money, and I don't look at it as an investment. When the shit hits the fan, and we know that shit's going to hit the fan, gold's going to have value. And if you can put your hands on it, you're going to be infinitely better off than some guy holding a, a ETF that says he owns gold. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know that was the thing that kept me away from Bitcoin for a while too was the fact that it isn't tangible, and so it's uh, you know I, I think there's a great case for that, and I also think I don't know the inner workings of it too well, but a, a, a number of the guests that I speak to in the podcast that I listen to talk about the manipulation in the gold and silver paper markets which I don't really understand too well. Do you know anything about that? Do you have opinions on, on how the futures markets are used and, and whether or not they you know, depress or uh, inflate the value of the metals? Uh, when you believe that markets are manipulating, you are you're in expressing a belief that supply and demand don't matter. 
Now, Eric Sprott, who I admire a lot, who has done probably more for the Canadian mining industry than anybody alive today, uh, was speaking a few days ago on one of his podcasts, and he was talking about how in, in the futures market, gold and silver are manipulated. And not just manipulated, but there's naked short selling taking place. I was actually a licensed broker for every commodities contract, and this is every single one of them. There is one buyer and there is one seller. You cannot have naked short selling. Paul Craig Roberts did a piece years and years and years ago when he was talking about naked short selling and, and commodities. And he actually used to be Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. So you'd think, here's a guy who would certainly understand how that market works. And when he came out and said there's naked short sell selling, I got, got his email and I wrote him a short note and I said, it is mathematically impossible for there to be naked short selling because every contract has a buyer and a seller. Now, if there was some way that somebody could dump 10,000 gold contracts on the market, okay, without having the margin behind it, they still have to buy those contracts back. So right. naked short selling doesn't uh, exist in commodities because it can't exist. Now, I, I have written, I, I've written about 10 books total and two of them are about investing. And in the books, I tell people if they will use facts and logic, they can come to conclusions all by themselves. They don't need to listen to gurus. And they can understand exactly what to do if they will learn to think. So I'm going to ask you a couple of trick questions. <laughs> okay. Right. In, in, in 1999, August of 99, gold went 252 uh, an ounce. Uh, today, I, I think it's 1980 or something like that, somewhere around there. Has gold been suppressed? Uh, no, not from those figures. It doesn't seem like, but there are a lot of people that argue that it should be should be higher for one reason or the other. Yeah, but hang, hang on a second. Opinions, price is always right, and opinions are often wrong. Right. To say the price of gold is wrong is an opinion, okay? But I'll go you one better. Uh, in uh, November of 2001, silver got to $4.02 an ounce. In April of 2011, silver got to like 49 <laughs> or something like that, just short of 50 bucks an ounce. Was silver suppressed from $4 to 50 No, it doesn't appear that it was probably in a bubble. It probably reached bubble territory, right? Well, no, see, that's an opinion. 
okay? Now, it, it's okay to have an opinion, but you need to separate opinions from facts. Right. Now, the fact is, uh, silver was $4 an ounce, and the fact is, it went $50 an ounce. Therefore, the fact is, it could not possibly have been suppressed, right. okay? Whether it should be 100 bucks an ounce or 200 bucks an ounce, that's an opinion. Everybody's got a right to opinion, but they don't have a right to their own facts. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I think what I'm referring to is, I, I forget who it was. Somebody was talking on Palisades Gold Radio last week who said, you know, once, once silver gets to 35, it might as well be at 200. And the, the thought process was there's some trigger under the surface somewhere that somebody is so massively short that when it hits a certain price level, and I could never really understand the argument. You know, even my buddy Andy Sheckman talks about it too, talks about manipulation in the silver market and that there's going to be some astronomical squeeze coming, but nobody's really ever laid out cogent proof or coherent, uh, you know, evidence. Nobody's ever really furnished <laughs> evidence that well, that actually, actually, they have. Okay, go okay. ahead. They've been saying exactly the same thing for 25 years. Now, you would think that if something was true, in 25 years, you'd be able to see clear and convincing evidence that it's true. Now, uh, right. there is something that television preachers politicians <laughs> and most financial writers have in common and that is they tell people what they want to hear okay so the mere fact that some guy is telling you something that you want to hear doesn't make it true it just means that you're being told something that, that he thinks will make you vote for him or right. pray for him or give your money to him uh, people I, I'm trying to think a nice way of putting it, and, and this is really difficult to say in, in a nice way. People are fucking stupid. <laughs> so so the idea that 50 guys are running around saying gold and silver are manipulated does not make it true. It just means they're fucking stupid, and they're telling people what they want to hear. I, I highly encourage people. I, my finance books can be bought for 99 cents. And if you can't afford 99 cents to buy these books, you can read them in two hours. You probably shouldn't be investing. <laughs> That's going to be the title of the podcast. People are fucking stupid. Bob Moriarty, you know, waxes poetic about life. Um, what do you think is the likelier scenario for markets? Do you think we, uh, equity markets, do you think we go straight to like a hyperinflationary situation where nominal prices go higher? Or do you think that we are, there's going to be a, a, a real crash as a result of the rate hikes that we're going through now and we'll see some type of like deflationary depression? There are more bad uh things that can happen, black swans. Uh, I, I've never seen so many potential uh, disasters. It, it's like giving a bubble bath to a porcupine. It's well as safe works in theory. It just doesn't work very well in practice. Uh, interest rates are going up. 
inflation is going up. We are a day or two away from World War III. We got a war going in Ukraine. We got a war going in Gaza. The French farmers and German farmers and Netherlands farmers and Canadian farmers are up in arms. And, and those are the good things. You know, I, I go <laughs> an hour about the bad things. There, there's a lot of bad things. This is a good time to pull in your horns and be as conservative as possible. And I literally tell people, uh, this is a really good time to have six months food in your spare bedroom because there's some very dangerous things that could happen. This thing in Gaza and Ukraine, uh, that, that could explode out of control uh, in a day. The Houthis just sunk a UK uh, a cargo ship, okay, and, and the EU and the United States keep believing that they can do damage to the Houthis, and it's asymmetric warfare, and the Houthis are winning, and they're going to continue to, and what the Houthis are saying is we want a ceasefire in Gaza, and we want the carnage to stop. That's all they're asking for, right. okay? These guys are not asking for EBT cards. They're not asking <laughs> the border. They're not asking for $10,000 payments that the city of New York is about to hand illegal immigrants. They're saying, hey, look, we want the carnage to stop. And I think that's very admirable. And at the same time they're doing that, uh, the United States vetoed a resolution in, in the UN for a ceasefire. And, and I'm just going, this is absolutely bizarre. The United States could end the war in Gaza, and we could have peace in the Middle East, and they could do it one day. All they would have to do is tell Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, your Platinum American Express car, we just canceled. We're not going to pay the way for genocide. And, and I, I think that would be leadership. And I don't see anyone in the U.S. government who, who's enough of a leader to do that. Well, there's not even enough of a leader. I mean, there's just nobody lucid in the United States government right now. I mean, forget about leadership. Let's talk about, like, do you have the ability to walk and chew gum at the same time? You know? Uh, like, you, not, uh, you you ask way too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Biden can't. Kamala Harris has a double digit. She can't put a sentence together. You know, Mayorkas is useless. I mean, it's just the, the, the government is, uh, it's just, it never ceases to amaze me. I said to Tom one day, that it really does feel like I started saying it as a joke at one point. And then in the years following it, I just kind of noticed that it happened to be the truth that government really does seem like they must exhaust all of the wrong options before they reluctantly, begrudgingly arrive at a solution that is, you know, somewhat efficient, that somewhat addresses whatever problem it is. You know, so the people that you have that argue that they're wonderful capital allocators is just, to me, that is mind-boggling, Bob. No, 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 hang out just a sec. I can prove to you how good they are at allocating uh, money. 
Okay. I can prove it to you. Nancy Pelosi earned $120 million out of her investments. Yeah. Well, how come the rest of the country isn't earning $120 million on their investments? Because they're not in Congress. Give me a break. <laughs> We're not privy to the inside information, right? No, 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 no. You're the one accusing her of doing that, not me. I never said that. <laughs> you think she's like uh, Hillary Clinton trading the cattle futures? You know, stepped into the open outcry pit on her first day and w turned into a resounding success? Do you know how she did that? Yeah, she got... She did it, and I know why it was legal. What happened? Okay. Let's say you want to be an expert on cattle futures. I do. And you have a rich uncle that owns a commodity trading firm. You go to him and you say, Uncle, you know, I need some money for crack. So he goes out at the start of trading and he buys a hundred cattle futures. And the next thing he does is he sells a hundred cattle futures. Now, what do you know about commodities? What happens at the end of the day? Uh, I have no idea. Settlement? What happens? Uh, you actually do know. You just hadn't thought about it. One of those contracts has gone up, and one of them has gone down right. in an equal amount. So at the end of day, you do exactly the opposite. You buy the contracts back that you sold, and you sell the contracts that you buy. Until Hillary Clinton came along, commodities companies allocated trades after the trade was complete. So the guy that was running the commodities company in, in Little Rock wanted to give Hillary Clinton $100,000 bribe. So that's exactly what he did. He bought and sold cattle futures at exactly the same time. And at the end of the day, he allocated the winning trades to Hillary and the losing trades to his his company. Because there was no rule against it, we accept the fact that it was a bribe, and we accept the fact that it was fraud. It just happened to be legal. I don't know, Bob. Are you sure she wasn't down in the SIBO pit just brushing elbows with guys like Pete Nigerian and shoving them out of the way and learning the hand signal arbitrage in one day? You sure you're right? I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't think I don't think she was doing that. She has as much chance of doing that as, as uh, Kamala Harris says a, a entire paragraph without repeating herself six times. <laughs> uh, all right. How much Hunter Biden artwork can I put you down for then? They're going at they're going at four hundred thousand dollars of painting. Can I put you down for one? I, I, I'm sorry. We we got a bad connection or something. I, <laughs> did, did you just say something about Hunter Biden offered you some cheap crack? Or, or what was that? I missed that. 
All right, listen, why don't you do me a favor? Can you give me one or two more black swans that you think uh, we could be in store for before the end of the year here? And that's we'll leave it on that question. But, you know, looking out for two years, I've been I've been beside myself over the fact that we've got five percent rates on the largest debt bubble in history. We seem to be doing everything that we can to uh, defile the corpse of the U.S. dollar. We uh, you know, we've been engaging in everybody else's geopolitical conflicts overseas. Uh, Are there any are there any black swans that you see that maybe aren't being talked about uh, aside from those in the media? Okay. Uh, In March of last year, the Federal Reserve came out and they established a term lending facility for banks. Right. And essentially, it meant that banks that were underwater could borrow money from the Fed at at near 0% interest, and they could maintain the fiction that they weren't really underwater. That's a black swan. It ends next month. The uh, small banks in the United States that have exposure to CRE, uh, commercial real estate, are are underwater and many, uh, I mean dozens or perhaps even hundreds are going to go under and of course that creates the risk of a cascading default through the banking system. Now I I believe there will be a cascading default Uh, that that could cause it interest rates continuing to increase could cause it. Uh, From 1920 to 1922, we had the biggest change in U.S. bonds in in 150 years. We've got so many ticking time bombs going off in, in the world's financial system. The the Magnificent Seven uh, one of these days, they're going to crater. Um, it, it's just one thing after another. Well, we got plenty of great TV coming up, I guess. There'll be plenty of things to watch. I, I'm as much beside myself about the about what we're doing and how it really, to me, seems like we're driving the plane directly into the side of the mountain. I'm as much beside myself about that as I am fascinated to kind of watch how this is going to unfold. And, and sadly... It's sad to say that, but I, I also feel like as a gold investor, and for me, you know, gold and miners are are my biggest waiting. There's a part of me that just says, like, all right, well, you know, it, there's you guys are going to have to eat your own cooking at some point, and you will reap what you sow. So it's certainly going to be interesting to see how the hell it all goes down, right? Well, uh, the interesting thing is that we are in Paris in 1789. And somebody could look around at, at the the cost of wheat and the anger of the people and realize, you know, bad shit is about to happen. We are watching an empire in collapse, and very few people understand this. The American empire is over. Joe Biden is not running the presidency. Obama's running the presidency. This is his third term, and he wants to go for a fourth term. And Michael Obama 
maybe the next president of the United States. You you think they're going to run her? Him. Yeah. Do you think they will run uh, Barack Obama's counterpart? You mean Michael? Yeah. <laughs> the jury's out on that, but yeah. He's got a bigger dick than I do. <laughs> oh, Bob, I was afraid we would have nothing interesting to say on our first podcast together. Can you do me a favor and tell tell my listeners, because this is your first time on uh, just about 3to1gold.com. That's your, that's your website. Uh, I love it. I go there just because... You break the news up into gold and silver news, and then you also have economy and stock market news, and then news on uh, uh, geopolitics, and I, I love reading your your quote of the week that you put at the bottom. It's a simple HTML-based website that just lists news that's relevant to people who think like we do, and could you tell my listeners a little bit about it before I let you go? Well, my wife and I started that uh, 20 20- uh, 24 years ago. Unfortunately, she died four and a half years ago, and I miss her terribly. But uh, it is a simple website, but it's a website that you can go to and find something that you'll agree with, which is the good news. And, and the really great news is I'm hoping there's going to be something you disagree with because we need to constantly reevaluate how we feel about things. And when I come up with something that I don't understand or I don't agree with, uh, I, I want to know more about it. I want to know, can I justify how I feel about this? Right. We're in for some of the biggest changes in world history in the next year or two or five. And, and that could certainly include a nuclear war, okay? Uh, and everybody is so wrapped up watching the, the Super Bowl that that they forget that there's terrible things happening in the world. And if they can happen in Gaza and they could happen in Ukraine, they could absolutely happen in the United States. We have opened the doors to millions of illegal immigrants, and all these idiots have to do is put together some kind of WhatsApp application where they call a bunch of the other Chinese or the other Haitians or the other uh, North Africans and say, hey, you know, why don't we start blowing shit up? Uh, We have done so many foolish things, and we're going to pay a price. And the purpose of the website is to help educate people and, and I won't publish things that I know absolutely are wrong, but I will publish things that, that I, I'm not certain of, but I think people need to know about. It's an interesting website. It's free. They go to Amazon or they go to Lulu. I published about uh, 10 books. I'm a New York, uh, well, not New York Times. I'm a Wall Street Journal bestseller with three of my books and uh, they're interesting books and I've deliberately made them so cheap that anybody can afford them. And will you do me a huge favor and promise me right now that you will come back on this show regularly? 
as long as you don't ask me questions about Hunter Biden's artwork. No, well, I don't know. You know, I figure you're a man of culture. You know, you like to hobnob in Tribeca and hang out at the art studios with all those people. I figured no, out. Absolutely not. I don't go for that. But actually, I'd like to know the names of some of its hookers. <laughs> all right, Bob. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. Super deal. Thank right. you. Bob Moriarty from 321gold.com. Oh, my God. When can I have my next interview with him? Can I start it right now? Uh, I'll put Bob's info in the, in the podcast description. And, uh, oh, my God, it's funny. I just <clears throat> I emailed the guys at Swan before I did this show. I said, hey, you know, I'm going to just uh, – because we said, oh, well, maybe we'll talk about, you know, getting the sponsorship thing done this week or whatever. And uh, – so I just emailed him and said, well, I'm doing a, I'm doing an episode today. I'll just throw you guys on there, whatever. If you know, you don't have to pay me for it if you don't want to, whatever. So this will be the first episode they tune in. Bob Moriarty like, hey, uh, I got a Michelle Obama's got a bigger tick than I do. And if there's any way I can get some of the numbers to Hunter Biden's hookers, I would appreciate it. What a fucking gem. Unbelievable. All right, fools. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon. I have a couple of great guests planned and uh, got some new podcast equipment. So I'll be really Stoked to use it. All right, for right now, I'm out. Peace.